Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. Hey, gentlemen, Randy, Tony, are you ready to go? Well, I, you know, so I have excited. to say, I'm so happy with Dave, what he said just now, because I'm stoned. <laughs> <laughs>
right now. I, I and I didn't know that was allowed. So I just thought I would get stoned before the. I'm so kidding. Oh my god! I am the last person on the planet. I don't even drink. So. By the way, if you guys want to see if he really is or not, we are streaming live to YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So feel free to join us on any one of those uh, to 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 do that on uh, on YouTube. You can go to hashtag Get Up and Grow on LinkedIn and find that, and then. Of course, Amelia, you can find Amelia uh, on LinkedIn and do that. And of course, Facebook for me and for Randy. Um, so yeah, Randy, take it I'm away. I'm not I'm sure you can really about tell on a normal day if I'm stoned or if I'm not. I think I you're mean, perpetually what stoned. Would really be, what would be the, actually, no, it's not true. I'm mellower. I'm mellower. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure people question uh, what I'm on all the time. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're for, for God's sakes, you're, you're but I am excited. The podcast is called Jones and for good. So that's well, right. you know, I am Jones and for good. Yeah, that's true. So wow. well, you, on. Bob Burke looks so serious right now. I think he's sitting there thinking, like, what did I get I'm myself into? Clear one of the group. Okay. Let's talk. Let's talk the intro because I am talk about, you know, having the opportunity to speak with a legend right um is is you know this is one of those moments i'm having one of those moments right now because um this man has influenced me so much over the years um as i you know rose and fall rose and fall rose and fall but one of the core values is something that he's absolutely influenced in me that has stayed steady and true so randy would you like to do as i do the girl crush over here would you like to do the intro well you know and i'm here's what's exciting for me i'm feeling a little stupid i'm new to oh to, to his work and no, no, I so, but no 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 amazing. I go to the site. Oh my gosh. So when you talk about like when you get into some of our influencer rooms, right? The big guys, right? Um his go giver is referred to as one of the biggest life changing books over and over and over again. But it takes all of one second to go to his page and yes. gasp. And I and I'm saying yes. I'm insane that I'm new because I was so immediately taken with go-giver versus go-getter. Because yep. we say so often, be a go-getter, be a go-getter. And then just the word go-giver, and we're gonna dive into that, was fascinating to me within two seconds. So <clears throat> I quickly became hooked and being so excited about being here. Because if you look at Bob for 30 years, he's been, he's been successfully showing entrepreneurs, leaders, and sales professionals how to communicate their value and accelerate their business growth uh, and for years, he was best known for his sales classic, Endless Referrals. But the Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann, has created a worldwide movement. And Mr. Berg is with us today. Yeah. I'm so excited. Hello, Bob. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. And I didn't mean to look so serious earlier. It said, you know, I'm... I'm when it comes to multitasking, I know there's really, I don't think there are any really good multitaskers, but I have to be, you know, just, just one of those who, just the, the total opposite. So I was trying oh, to no. look at different things here, and I was... No, I was, no uh, Amelia has done the show, dealt with her child, driven the car, stopped, <laughs> been pulled over by the cops, had a discussion with them, all while doing this show, and nobody's ever known. And spinning two plates. Yeah, I'm what, what, for what it's worth, women can do it better than men, Bob. Yeah, just saying. yeah. It, 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 when it comes to multitasking, get, I did get criticized on the whatever because I was putting on my lipstick while driving, while also doing Clubhouse, and while I was streaming. And somebody said to me, uh, "Could I suggest that maybe that's different? That's uh, that's dangerous." 
right? And so, yes, sometimes we're multitask uh, to our detriment. So I will take focused any day of the week. So thank you, uh, Bob. This is, you know, a great opportunity for me. I don't think that you realize, you know, when people are legends, they don't realize that they're legends. Like they don't wake up in the morning and go, I'm a legend. Um, but you've impacted so many business leaders along the way, and you've changed the culture of how we build our companies, right? Actually build our companies. I mean, you were one of the first people that I bumped into when I needed to realize that I needed to have a more of a sales oriented mind um, because that was a big learning curve for me. I'm a geek um, and I am uh, a systems girl and I spent most of my career building businesses behind, you know, the Steve Harveys and, 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 you know, athletes and musicians and whatever. And so I was never really out front. Um, but as I went out on my own, really got introduced to sales is how I first bumped into you and helped me understand the mindset that I needed in order to get comfortable, I would say, with that role, right? Because I was the person who said, I, I don't want to be a salesperson. I, I don't want to, I don't want to sell anything. <laughs> you know, I don't want to do that. Um, and then to lead into your work now, um, it's, it's just so beautiful. I mean, it's so beautiful. And I think that you teach people how to show up kinder, kinder. Wow. Well, th first, thank you. I mean, that means so much to me just to, to hear you say that. I, I think there are two things, two very important points you brought up because you said, you know, you, you weren't the out front person or the salesperson, you were the systems person. Systems are also very important. It's not an either or, right? It's an and I personally define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a, a logical and specific set how-to principles. The key is predictability. If it's been proven that by, by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know that if you do A and continue to do A and continue to do A, you'll get the results of B. That's also very important. It's just that systems are there to serve the human as opposed to the human being there to serve the system when humans serve the system that's when bureaucracy sets in that's when a lot of counter productivity sets in that's when a a real lack of customer experience sets in because the system becomes the the master not the servant the system needs to be the servant but that's not to take away its importance because even being a, a really nice kind fantastic wonderful person if you don't have a system in place to to help, uh, well, that's also going to be counterproductive. So it, it's both. So I love that point that you brought up. The other one is when you talked about, you know, that the resistance to selling. You know, I've often said that when you hear people say, well, I, I could never sell or I don't like sales. It's not that they don't like sales. It's that they don't like what they think sales is. Because if you think of sales as trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want or need, uh, which by the way, isn't selling, that's called being a con artist, right? <laughs> but so think of sales or selling that way, who would wanna do it? You know, what person who has any sort of values or conscious would wanna do that? So instead, if we look at selling as simply discovering what the other person does need, want, or desire, and helping them to get it, 
now we see selling in a whole different light. When we look at the old uh, English, the old English root of the word sell, which was salan, it literally meant to give. So when you're selling, you are giving. Now, isn't that just semantics? What, what do you mean when you're selling, you're giving? What you, if you're selling, what are you giving? Well, I suggest that when you're selling, you're giving time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and most of all, exquisite value. So when we can reframe sales in this way, now we can be very proud of what we're doing. And I think that that's what had such a major impact on me, right? Is, you know, I'm a behaviorist, right? My gift, uh, even though I've built a lot of businesses um, and I've fixed a lot of problems, at the core of who I am is I'm a behaviorist, right? I can mirror for somebody their current thought and them understand the root that is either blocking them for what they want or for what they want. And in discovering your work, it helped me understand that I have a talent and I have a gift and it can solve a problem that you have. And then releasing that decision or that choice to the other person. And that my job, my only job was to demonstrate value. And mm -hmm. when I understood from you that I'm not selling, what I'm doing is I'm demonstrating value and showing you the problems that I can solve. And I stay on my side. That's my side. What you do on your side is your side. And as a behaviorist, you unlocked for me the ability for me to then build a business from that. Because I was stuck. I was, I was stuck at a certain level in my business. And every consultant that I had said, you've got to become a sales organization. You've got to become a sales organization. You've got to become a sales organization. And I'm like, I just, I can't lead that. I felt like I was a fraud because that's not who I am. But when I got exposed to your work and what I started to realize was I don't have to become a sales organization. I have to become a value organization that helps clarify for people the problems that we solve and that we then attracted people who had those problems. It freed me as a CEO to move to the next level of my business. When I bumped into GoGiver, I, I'm going to cry. I felt like you got me. I felt like you understood who I was, that I really want to serve. I really want to help. I really want to share what it is that I've already learned. And if you can learn from something that I had to painfully learn and I can gift that to you, I feel like we're connected. And so your work with GoGiver validated for me as a business owner that if we serve our people, if we really care about our people, our people will serve us back and we never have to ask them to do that. And so I want to thank you for validating so many of us who wanted to lead a different way. Well, I, I, I thank you so much. And you know, what that really says to me is that you already, and, and you know, this, you already had that heart. You just, you just identified with it when you, when you read the book. And, you know, a lot of that is really owed to the, the great storytelling of John David Mann, my co-author, because I'm really a how, you know, I'm a how-to guy. I'm step one, step two, step three. So I'm actually rather boring when you get right down to it. John is a wonderful storyteller, and he was able to kind of take those, 
those and he was a great entrepreneur himself but he you know was able to take those concepts and i think in putting them in story form uh, in the way that he did it was you know it, it had an emotional component to it and it did allow people like you who already were doing that and already knew this and already felt that and already lived that to simply identify with it and say oh yeah okay this this is what i'm doing i'm on the right track yeah but so many books tell stories and you go, well, that's interesting, but there's nothing to do, right? Because there's a com component of action, mm -hmm. right? That you attached the motion to this is then what you do with it. I think that that's why it becomes such a reference for so many leaders because you need both, right? You yeah. need both. You know, an yeah. idea without action is, as far as I'm concerned, noise. Don't come well, to me with an idea. I don't, I don't want to hear it, right? What I want to know is... I want to hear what's step one, what's step two, what's step three, so I can mm -hmm. I can quantify your ability to think and then where I can contribute to it. And so I think that the combination between you two gentlemen really served a need because it also shifted this mentality of building a business and what it is to be successful. You know, I mean, I'm older, right? So when I first started in business, I would say for the first 20 years I was in business, every leadership class, everything that I was exposed to was tactic, 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 tactic. And as a behaviorist, I kept standing up and saying, yes, but things don't grow tactically. You don't make a difference in the world tactics. You can Google how to do anything. What changes and has impact is when you attach your reason why, right? something that drives you for something greater than self and in go giver i was able to attach that that's what i really i am really of service i'm really of service i really want to i really want to give and it gave us something to refer to that was a different type of leader a different type of business and now after the great universal reset here after covid what we've learned about people is that we don't start leading like this. You're not leading anybody because people are not buying the antiquated way of, you know, master and servant. It really now has to be a community of we focused on a delivery of something better together than we ever could be apart. Yeah, I, I think you're really, you know, so spot on with that. One of my or two of my favorite books, actually, uh, are uh, leading with noble purpose and selling with noble purpose, both by my friend and colleague, uh, Lisa Earl McLeod. And I, I love how, you know, she was able to, in those books, quantify as well as qualify that when someone has a noble purpose behind what they do, a reason bigger than just the sale itself, their sales actually increase big time, right? And they, they're, uh, company's bottom line goes way up and she tells a, a beautiful story that i'm badly paraphrasing be, because she tells it so well in her, her book but it's about a she was brought into a, a pharmaceutical sales organization to um you know to really discover why the top producers the top money earners were the top producers and top money earners and she was interviewing the different ones and she she spoke with a woman who had kind of started out as an average, a little bit above average salesperson who then was at the time Lisa spoke with her something like number two or three in the entire company, whatever it was. Wow. 
And she said, well, how did you get to that point? What, what really was the difference maker? And she said, well, you know, one day she said, I was in a doctor's office on a, on an appointment, you know, she was selling, uh, selling drugs, basically, right. A pharmaceutical salesperson. And that, that's the commodity, right? That's the commodity. Um, that's not necessarily a noble purpose. You have to attach, like you said, a noble purpose to it. So, so how did that happen? So one, one day she's in a doctor's office, uh, on an appointment, she checks in with the, the, uh, receptionist at the, at the desk and she says who she's with and so forth. And she's told to take a seat. So, uh, a woman, a somewhat elderly woman, uh, walks over to her and says, did I hear you say you're with so-and-so company, whatever it was. And she said, yes, yes, I am. And she said, you're the makers of the so-and-so drug, right? And she says, yes, we are. And she said, I've got to tell you, she said, in fact, I've got to thank you. You have given me my life back. Uh, I was not able to, to, to play with my grandkids. Uh, I, I wasn't able to, and she had a list of things she wasn't able to do. And she said, now she said, I am on the floor. We're playing and wrestling and and I have just, you know, and she went through the whole thing and she said, you gave me my life back. She used that term again, gave me my life back, right? Well, at this very point, this, this pharmaceutical sales representative realized she was not in the business of selling drugs. She was in the business of giving people their lives back. Wow. From that point on, her sales just soared, right? She had a noble purpose now, a higher purpose for what she what she was doing. And Lisa makes a great point in her two books that it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be selling something that, that, that you can necessarily even see makes a big difference, like something like that, right? It could be that, you know, you're selling supplies to this, that, who sells to this, or that, to this and that, that makes a product that is boring to most people. But if you have that noble purpose behind it, you realize there's something much bigger than just yourself. And that all in all, it's adding to the betterment of life for everybody in the chain who ends up using and benefiting from it. So yeah, uh, you know, I, as human beings, I think part of human nature is the desire to make a difference, the desire to be uh, part of something bigger than just ourselves, the desire to add value. And as entrepreneurs, salespeople, so forth, we tend to do that through our work. It doesn't mean we can't be involved in other areas or other, you know, charity or what have you, but mostly we, we tend to do this through our work. So when we can do something every single day where, you know, we really believe we're making a difference in people's lives and can be rewarded handsomely for it, you know, what a way, what a nice way to be able to go through life. Can I back up just a little bit? Yes. Just a little bit. So for people who are, can you just define, I know we're talking around it. Uh, we're talking about different aspects. Just give me the definition of go-giver. And I want to know where it came from. Yeah. Because I, I'm just so, I'm, I believe, well, for one thing, let me also comment. I've known Amelia and we've done these shows for a long time. I've seen her get this emotional once and that would be today. Uh, no, I've, I, I, we've, well, I mean, I've seen her get emotional, but you know, so this is such a, I was touched by what she did. I will say to those of you- Because Amelia is usually very prickly. <laughs> yeah. 
I was, but I will say to those of you who are not watching the live stream, Bob Burke can gesture now, man. He's just, I mean, he can, you, you've got gestures and, and, and y'all are missing it. So what's a go-giver? Where did it come from? Because just the, the basic, like I said, to anyone new, it's just a fascinating thing this minute you read the word. So a go-giver, uh, and that's a great question, thank you. Uh, a go-giver is simply someone who has learned or maybe always intuitively understood that shifting your focus, and this is really where it all begins, shifting your focus from getting to giving. Now, when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that doing so is not only a more pleasant way, a more fulfilling way of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. And not for any kind of way out there, woo-woo, magical, mystical type of reasons, not at all. It makes very logical, rational sense. When you're that person who can take your focus off of yourself and place it on serving others, right? When you're that person who can move off of yourself and uh, off of your needs, on to trying to help someone else solve a problem, right? Or uh, when you can be that person who instead of focusing on, on you, you're focused on bringing that other person closer to happiness. Well, you know, people feel good about you. They feel great about you. They want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They, they want to be in relationship with you. They want to do business with you if that's appropriate. And they definitely want to tell others about you and be what we call your, your personal walking ambassador. So, you know, that's really what it is. And, uh, you know, we, we came up with the title, again, John David Mann, my great co-author, uh, just based on, you know, years ago, I had a, a book called Endless Referrals. Um, this was back in the 90s. And it was about, it was really a system um, uh, on, on how entrepreneurs and salespeople who knew they had a great product or service, they knew it brought wonderful value to others, but they didn't necessarily feel comfortable going out into their local communities and building the kinds of relationships uh, with people that would lead to people wanting to do business with them directly and or referring them to, to others. And, and the, you know, the book was, it was a how-to book designed with that purpose to show people how to develop relationships that would do that. You know, the basic premise was that, uh, and something I've been saying for 35 years, is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust, right? And, but again, it was a how-to book. I'd always wanted to not always, but I don't, well, I'd always enjoyed, since I'd been in sales, I'd always enjoyed reading parables because parables, which are stories, they connect on a deeper level, a heart to heart level. There's a, and I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could take that basic premise and, and build a story around it. Now in coming up with the name, the title, the go-giver, that was easy because what's the basic essence of those entrepreneurs and salespeople who are able to very quickly and sustainably build those no like and trust relationships well they're givers they're always looking to give value to others so coming up with the go giver uh was, was natural however the best thing and i mentioned this earlier the best thing i ever did for the book was asking john david mann who at the time i knew because he was the editor-in-chief of a magazine i used to submit monthly columns for uh i, I and i knew john was just a brilliant, brilliant writer and storyteller. So I asked John if he would be the lead writer and uh, storyteller on this. So that that's how the collaboration um, came, uh, you know, came about. 
He must have fallen over. I mean, when you, I mean, I can, I wish I was a fly on the wall when you made that phone call and said, hey, by the way, would you like to be the writer of my masterly mind? I'd be like, oh my goodness, right? I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's how I felt when like when Oprah called me, I hung up because I didn't think it was her. I mean, <laughs> you know, you get these moments in life where, you know, they say that if you live in alignment, you know, and learn to live at your highest frequency, things literally come to you. And I think that that's a perfect example because I would love to just interview him and go, and so what were you doing when that call happened? Well, were you, were, were you sitting in your underwear having a cup of coffee and spit it out when the ask came? You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, and I appreciate you saying that. Um, but really, you know, John, even at that time, was, you know, was very busy doing what he was doing. And he, you know, he, he said to his, his wife now, but back then his fiance, Anna, he said, you know, I really don't have time to, to be doing another uh, project right now, but you know, it's Bob, you know, he's such a great guy. And, you know, we know each other from the, you know, how can I at least not, you know, listen to this? So, so um, John and Anna, who, who live in Western Massachusetts, they were visiting her mom who, uh, at the time lived in, um, on the West coast of, uh, of Florida. Uh, and they made a drive about a four hour drive, uh, to Jupiter where I live, uh, Jupiter, Florida, not the planet. And we went out to dinner that night, had about a three hour dinner discussing the, you know, discussing the book and, and what we thought about it and did it have a, you know, a shot to do something and so forth. And it was really about three weeks later that he called me and he said, you know, Anna and I have been discussing this for the last few weeks and, you know, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's, let's do this. I was really the one who, you know, when I, I, who acted very cool about it, I said, great, well, we'll get together. We'll decide, you know, I hung up the phone and I went, yeah, because I knew that John could work, you know, magic with this. And uh, I was so I, you know, I think I was really a lot more excited about it than John was. And uh, but, you know, the, the funny thing is, though, is that it took us, you know, writing the book took about three months. But finding a publisher took 24 rejections in a, an entire year before finally Portfolio, a division of Penguin Random House picked us up and uh, they, you know, they've been just a wonderful, wonderful publishing partner. But so, um, so yeah, so, you know, it's kind of that story behind and I, the and story. And I love that fun fact, right? I think that when people listen to uh, people that are pushed, for some reason, they tell themselves this story that it was easier for than it is for the muck that they happen to be going through. And I think it's really important mm -hmm to share it was 24 at bats before yeah. you hit a home run because people right. forget about that you know i did a i did an interview yesterday um on a podcast and they had said you know something like you know well, amelia what makes you successful and i laughed because i said the only reason where i am where i am is because i will stay in the crap way longer than you way longer than you i am like a dog with a bone if i make my mind up to do something you can't shake me loose you literally can't shake me loose and i am more of a stalker right i when i you know i have that passion in my heart i mean you know there are literally countless stories of me stalking somebody because i felt there was a need for us to have you know a conversation and so yeah. when you can really get into 
the impact that you're trying to make, I think it humbles you to the <laughs> point that you will really, you know, just stay with, with it, you know? And, and yeah. I think that that's really what it takes. And the fact that, you know, most people, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, even most of the people here that are listening, they would have quit after the second no. They would have, they would have said, okay, just not, not a good idea. 24 at bats. I mean, that takes chutzpah. You know, uh, Amelia, it's it's interesting. One one thing I've often said, and I say this when I speak to to sales organizations, is that I think the biggest thing that knocks potentially great, really successful salespeople out of the game and causes them to quit before they ever have a chance to make it isn't being told no. It's thinking that they're the only person being told no. Okay. That, and that's the thing, because that, like you said, they look at everybody else who's either walking across stage or has a plaque up there or has done something significant or is you wherever they want to be. And like you said, they think, oh, that was easy. They just went out there and everybody just embraced them. And that, well, we know that's not the case. We know that person has gotten so many no's uh, and they got through. Now, and, and so I, I think you know, that what we need to do is inoculate people who are just starting out doing anything and saying, you are gonna get no's. You're mm -hmm. gonna get rejected. It is gonna feel yucky. Now, mm -hmm. I mean, we can always say, well, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the idea and, you know, and all these other great sales platitudes. And, and that's true, but it still feels yucky. It stinks to be told no. Nobody likes to hear, I can't say nobody. I don't like to be told no, who does? But if we understand that it's just part of the game, then we're able to reframe that. You know, one of the best books I ever wrote was a parable. I think it came out about a year after The Go-Giver uh, called Go For No by my friends Andrea Waltz and her husband Richard Fenton. They're a great team. And they wrote, uh, now they've got it for different niche markets, but the original one was about a, a copier, copying machine sales guy who, you know, had to learn about no and how you can actually reframe no's to use that as a way to help spur yourself on. And, yeah. and again, it doesn't mean you've got to like the no. And, 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 you know, I always try to keep away from those kinds of, things. oh yeah, love the no. No, no, you don't have to love it. You just have to know it's part. And as long as you know that now when it happens, you can say, oh yeah, okay, that's right. I don't like this, but I know it's part of it. I know it's something I have to go through and I'm one step closer to that. Yes. Can I ask you something? So I've always believed that if I focus and I've been in sales all my life, if I focus on doing the work, right, taking care of the customer, that the money will follow. Cause I didn't really, I'm not, I'm the creative person. So she may be the systems person who doesn't want to worry about money. I want to be creating. So I don't want to worry about it at all. But I've always believed that if I do the job right and take care of people and honor them, the money will come and that's largely happened. So in the concept of providing value, how do we, what's your best advice for providing value and that doesn't cost a lot of money and actually, frankly, keep, we don't get taken advantage of. So because I, from a creative services standpoint, it's wicked easy to be taken advantage of. So what's your, how do we provide that value in a way that's still profitable in more ways than one for us? Okay, there's two, two questions there, two great points. So 
in case I forget the second one, the second one was about being taken advantage Correct. of. Correct. Me, okay? Sub, so just really, how do you provide value without breaking, you know, breaking the bank? And then how do you provide value without being taken advantage of in the process? Right. Remind me of the second one in case I forget to answer it. Okay. The, uh, so the first one is, is let's start out by asking what is value? Okay. What do we mean by value? Value is simply the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, experience, what have you? that brings so much worth or value to another person that they will willingly exchange their money for this and be ecstatic that they did while you make a very healthy profit. Value is different than price. Price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Okay. Um, you, you, so, so let's uh, give a very quick example. You go into a, a pizza restaurant. Okay, to, to, uh, to get a pizza for dinner with your family. And uh, the pizza, the meal, whatever, all together is $30, okay? Now, the, the price of the pizza was $30. What value did you receive from this, okay? Now, aside from the pizza being absolutely delicious, it saved you and your family from having to do the work to prepare the dinner. You got out with each other. The ambiance in the restaurant was wonderful. The staff treated you like gold. The owner came over and spoke with you. Uh, there was a great show on TV playing and people were off. That just everything about the experience, it, you know, it, it, the price was $30, but you probably received a couple of hundred dollars worth of value uh, through that. You got much more in value than what you paid for, okay? But the, the pizza shop owner who sold this for $30, it probably cost him or her, you know, two dollars for the pizza ingredients, another dollar for their employee, another dollar to keep the lights on. Right. So it probably cost them four or five dollars. They made a great profit and you made a great profit in any free market based exchange. When I say free market, I simply mean that no one was forced to do business with each other, but people did it on their own volition. In any market based exchange, there should always be two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits because each of them came away better off afterwards than they were beforehand, okay? So there's two types of value. There's the value of, there's what I call intrinsic value. That's simply the value of the product itself. That's the pizza, okay? That's the, the, the product itself. But then there's also extrinsic value. And that's the, that's the experience. Okay, that's what separates you from everyone else. Most products are really pretty good these days. Technology is leveled off the playing field. And you can have the best pizza or be a great accountant or sell a great computer or TV set or be a mechanic, whatever it is, pretty much the product, the intrinsic value is gonna be about the same. And when that's the case, unfortunately, uh, you know, you end up having to, you're a commodity and, and people are trying to sell for the lowest price. And, you know, if you sell on low price, you're a commodity, not you personally, but whoever's, whoever's doing that, you're a commodity, right? When you sell on high value, you're a resource. So in order to be able to sell on higher value, and which is a higher and a higher price, you've got to be of higher value. And it's got to be you who is that additional value. Does that all make sense? 
first of all. Okay, now let's look at how, how we do that. Because all that extrinsic value, the, the experience aspect is you. They're buying you before they buy your product or service. So how do you communicate that additional value? And again, without costing an arm and a leg, right? Well, fortunately, uh, there are dozens, if not hundreds of ways to do so, but they tend to come down to five, what we call elements of value. And those elements of value are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And to the degree that you and your team communicate those elements of value at every single touch point. So whether it's from the moment you meet that person, whether it's an inbound call or an outbound call or something on, or you meet them somewhere at a local event or wherever, whatever it happens to be, from the moment you meet that person through the relationship building process, through the follow-up and the follow-through, through the sales process, through the, re the uh, referral process, to the degree that you communicate one or more, hopefully five, all five of those elements of value at every single touch point, and you truly make this person feel special, feel good about themselves, good about the situation, and good about you. That's the degree that you separate yourself, or as my colleague Scott McCain would say, that you distinguish yourself from everyone else in the marketplace. And that's how you sell on high value rather than low price. I love that. <laughs> I'm, like, I, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> to talk about one, two, three, four, five steps. Like, I mean, I, that is, I mean, if you didn't catch it, you need to catch the replay. Um, Randy, you want to reset the room real quick? Oh, and uh, yes, I sort of missed that room advantage. reset. Then yeah. we had the second, the second part about not being taken advantage of. Okay, I, just very quickly, uh, I was supposed to do this at 11.30, I'm nine minutes late. You are listening to Amelia Antonetti, Randall Kenneth Jones with Mr. Bob Berg on Breakfast with Champions on Clubhouse. See how quick I can do that when I want to be fast? So I did that fast. So thank you for being here. And please and click the link at the very top. If you want more of what you're hearing from, from Mr. Bob Berg, please pick up your copy of Go Giver. Um, it is one of the number one books that successful people refer to over and over again. It will absolutely lead you to how to show up more impactfully, but more importantly, for you to actually be your best self. So click the link at the top at Clubhouse. Um, go ahead and click the link if you're here live streaming. I've got just posted it on my socials as well. And yes, Mr. Bob, if you'll answer the second part of the questions, yeah. because I'm sure there's a lot of people. This is a big watching. one for me. It's huge for me because I like to be Mr. Nice Guy and I get taken advantage of all the time. By the way, sure. for those watching on social media, whether it be YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook, uh, I'm going to put the the, uh, the title screen, uh, streaming across the screen as well. Make sure that you're sharing this video uh, if you're watching on social media and if you're just watching uh, listening on Clubhouse, make sure you share this as well. Get more people into this conversation because this is gold being dropped oh. right now by uh, – by Bob and, and by uh, Amelia and, and everybody here. So make sure that you're sharing this room. Back over to you. Okay, so so let's answer uh, the question about being taken advantage of. Because, you know, sometimes people hear the title, the go-giver, and they think, well, that means that you, you know, don't make a profit. But first of all, totally untrue. As a go-giver, you make a larger profit than most because, again, you're selling on high value, not low price. But there's also, well, as a go-giver, does that mean that you're at everyone's beck and call, that you can never say no to anything, that you'd be taken advantage? 
Well, first of all, I, and I just want to make this point because it's, I think it's so very important. There's nothing about being a go-giver that in any way is congruent with being a doormat, being a martyr, or, or being self-sacrificial in any way, shape, or form. Now, the question being, uh, can you be taken advantage of? Well, yeah, anybody can be taken advantage of, but if you're being taken advantage of, it's not because you're a giver or because you're a nice person or whatever. If you find yourself constantly being taken advantage of, and I'm not talking about once or twice or three times, if we're human, that's gonna happen, okay? I'm talking about if you find yourself in a pattern of being consistently taken advantage of, it's not because you're a giver or a nice person or whatever, it's because you're doing things in a certain way that is creating the context where you're being taken advantage of, okay? Now, if you find that that is you, well, the first thing I would say is congratulations on recognizing it, okay? Because it's only after we recognize and acknowledge an issue that we're in a position to do something constructive about it. If you go through your entire life uh, unconsciously doing these things, right, and not stopping to think about it, well, the same results are going to take place. So the first is is understanding that. And then it's saying, okay, so why is it? Why is it that in all situations where I'm being taken, where I'm being taken advantage of, I'm always part of it? What is going on? And it could be a number of reasons, and I don't know what they are because I'm not you, but it could be anything from a... Um, uh, you know, a, a, a feeling that you're not worthy of being treated with respect. It could be that you don't have the tools to know when to say no to somebody or to read a situation. It could be that, and again, I'm not saying it is, I'm just saying these are different things. It could be that there's a payoff in terms of, you know, you get to be the center of attention, people feeling bad for you. Oh, that's the nice person who can never catch a break and people are always taking it. Oh, oh, he or she is, they're so nice that they're always being taken. Right? There's payoffs to these. Everything we do on an unconscious level is because we believe it brings us closer to happiness in some way. Sometimes that happiness is being miserable, right? It's that mental feeling of, of well-being. The world is right. And if I see the world in a way that says that, that, I'm supposed to be taken advantage of, then only by being taken advantage of is the world right. I mean, I know that sounds absolutely, but that's how it is. If, you know, one book I would suggest getting, and I, this, this is a book when I first read it, I saw so many reasons why I had sabotaged myself. Okay, I read this back in the, in the 1980s, okay? Long time ago, but it was written in, it was published in 1960. It's called Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. Mm -hmm. And it was absolutely game-changing for me. It was the first book I read that showed me that our belief system, right, the way we see and understand the world is what will absolutely determine our results. And we can never be more successful than our most limiting thoughts. Uh, I, I, there's a, a gentleman, uh, his name is Matt Fury, who, who I think does a lot of work now in terms of teaching psycho-cybernetics, and he's brought a lot of, you know, and in, in so forth. So when you look it up, you might find his uh, books, or, or, or um, and I've heard good things about, about him and what he does. But um, 
but to me the biggest thing is is making the unconscious conscious because everything we do that harms us there's an unconscious mechanism at work that is that is directing that and we need to okay there's there's an, another thing too that, that that's sort of a cousin to this and that is you know how do i say no when 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 people ask me to do things and again i, I want to be nice and i want to be kind and i want to be helpful and people ask me to do things but i don't have time to do all these things i don't have the energy to do them and it's keeping me from doing the things right and so so again being a go-giver doesn't mean you don't say no as a go-giver, you're going to be very, very successful, and you're going to be asked to do things from a lot of people, and you're going to have to say no. You're going to have to say no much more than you say yes. The key is when you say no, do you do it in a way that honors the other person, that communicates respect, and, and protects your boundaries while you're also making them feel genuinely good about themselves? So, you know, I like to use a very quick example when people say, uh, you know, let's say, for example, you've been asked to serve on a committee and it's, it's a committee you just don't want to serve on for whatever reason. That's your, your beeswax. You just don't want. Now, there's been, there's been, you know, different methodologies taught over the last 20 years or so for saying no. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple that I disagree with and then, then one that's my suggestion. When I disagree, that doesn't they're wrong it's just not something that i would you know see as a uh, as a model i'd want to follow one of them is the uh you know when people say no is a complete sentence okay i've uh you know that's supposed to be a very empowering thing to do to just say no to people when they well you know that sounds good in theory but if someone asks you to do something that's not an outlandish thing, it's just something that you don't want to do and you don't feel you should, uh, if you just say to the person, no, is that really a complete sentence? Uh, I mean, you're going to turn them off. They're not going to want to do anything with you ever, which, and you may want to keep the doors open. But, but here's the big thing. Here's the big thing of all about this. Saying no to someone like that rudely is incongruent with your value system of treating people with kindness. So I'm gonna suggest that, again, while it's empowering and it sounds good in theory, it's not a good way to say no. Another way people suggest saying no is to just kind of fib a little bit. Well, I would, but I, I don't have the time. Well, a couple of issues with that. One is, you know, you know it's not that you don't have the time, it's that you don't have the desire to do it. You, you value not doing it more than you value doing it, which again is, is fine. But when you say, I don't have the time, you, you put yourself in kind of a, a, a position where when this person who hears this all the time, when they're able to counter this and provide a really persuasive reason that time is not going to be an issue, now you've either got to kind of admit that you were fibbing, which is going to have them lose respect for you and you're going to feel yucky. Um, or in order to save face, you're going to have to take on this assignment that you don't want to do. Or the person might say, oh, well, that's okay. You know what? We're going to be getting another committee together in three months. I'll, I'll come back to you then. Now you've just kicked the can down the road for another few months and you're in the same position again. So, so I'm going to suggest those are not the most productive ways to say no. So let me give you a way that I have done this. And I'm telling you this works in person. It works on email. It works on text. It works on the phone. Very simple. It, it simply sounds like this, okay? When the person asks you again, serve on a committee or something like that, you simply say, thank you so much. While it's not something I'd like to do, 
please know how honored I am to be asked. And that's it. Uh, what you did is you thanked the person, you let them know you were honored to be asked. It was nothing personal, but you also let them know it's not something you chose to do. Uh, you didn't make an excuse, right, for them to kind of hang their, their hat on and then answer. You just let them know that it was. Now, you could say it a couple different ways. It might be uh, the way I said it, or it might be, oh, thank you so much for asking. You know, while it's not something I choose to take on, uh, please know how, how grateful I am that you would think of asking me, you know, so again, whatever your, your style is. Now, if they, you know, if they kind of persist and they say, oh, well, but we really need, you know, blah, blah, whatever, you just, you, you, you don't get defensive. You just, you just wait with a calmness and, and you let them finish without interrupting. And then you simply say, oh, again, I, I so appreciate the offer. I'd rather not, but thank you so much. And that's it. Now, resist the temptation to give a reason unless and so here's where the asterisk comes in unless it's someone where the situation calls for it either you have a, a relationship with this person or it's the type of thing where to not provide a, a reason would be very off-putting you know what i'm saying but 95 percent of the time you do not need to, to to provide a reason you just need to go through exactly what i had said Practice that a few times, and I'm telling you, it will absolutely set you free. That's how a go-giver says no. That's amazing. That. That's amazing. Well, and I have, I'm going to pull this back to uh, what Amelia had me. I'm just saying for my purpose, Amelia said, Randy, what's your word for the year? And you keep saying it, and my word for the year was value. And <laughs> if, if this does not provide a value to me, or a value to the people that I serve or a value to my family, financial or otherwise, the answer is no. And I will say I've gotten very good at acknowledging the honor of the ask as I say no, because I have been the horrible no. I've been awful at saying no, awful, 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 awful at saying no. And I have gotten better. So wonderful. But I have a feeling a lot of people just benefited tremendously from those answers to those two questions. Amelia, do we have time to open it up to see if anybody yes. wants to ask anything? Yeah, let's take before the social media show comes in. Absolutely, let's take some questions. Um, if you here are up on stage, go ahead and open up your mic and lean in. And if you've got a question and you're in the audience, please just raise your hand. Amelia, how about doing a Bob Berg day, like 12 hour marathon? We could just keep him on for the entire day. Bob's people take, will not allow that, okay? The we could, we could like right do a little now, pizza break. We could have pizza delivered and give, <laughs> You know, somebody else can talk while he eats, and it'd be great. There you go. There you go. Bob, our uh, binge-a-thon of Law and Order or uh, one of those shows, but I don't think a Bob Bergman would. Uh, oh, I'm thinking you're wrong, Bob. I'm thinking he's saying no. Notice he's saying no to me on my idea. <laughs> he's trying to say no. I'm thinking I would be there for for quite a long time to hear you talk. So he's honored to have had been asked. <laughs> honored. honored. Uh, anybody here on stage you want to head and uh, answer questions where we try to bring up people who have hands raising in the audience? Hey, this is Jessica. <laughs> Hello, <Lion> Jessica. Face. <laughs> Hi, Jessica. The, the other lion face, because we have two lions in here, I guess, today. Um, so um, I really, really appreciated this this conversation. It's super empowering. It's There's boundaries. There's all the good things. And something I was thinking about with my... Uh, observations I've had sometimes around family and um, different work dynamics, which as <laughs> Amelia as a behaviorist will 
probably also chime in, but um, I mentioned in the chat uh, the martyr complex. And I had, I had someone actually ask me one time about, and I didn't say anything, or but it was just like they ha they asked me about my faith because I I am someone of faith, and there's this dynamic that there's different expectations if someone's of faith that they have a martyr complex in in their relationships. So what would you? Not saying I I do or don't or whatever, but like it it, it speaks to what you're saying about overgiving and. Um, I, I know there's some things we could unpack there that could be valuable and set some more people free. <laughs> do you have some, uh, do you have some thoughts about maybe nuances or differences between that and um, pulling off of some of the things you're already sharing about value price, that kind of thing? Well, thank you very much for the question. And if I understand it correctly, my, 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 now, if I don't, please let me know so I can, I can um, course correct on this. But if I do understand it correctly, I think really it's a decision, right? Being a, being a martyr is a decision. Uh, now, you want to make it a conscious decision. And to me, the conscious decision would be, no, don't be a martyr because being a martyr serves no one, right? It, it doesn't serve you and it doesn't, it doesn't serve them. You, uh, with, you know, in a, a martyr type of situation, there, there's a, you know, maybe a winner, but there's definitely a loser, someone who comes out not, you know. So my suggestion is rather than, than you know, having a victor martyr transaction or relationship, you, you want it to be a relationship where both parties come out ahead. Um, if there's ever a situation, whether again, a relationship, a transaction, a, a, whatever it happens to be, that both parties don't come away feeling better about themselves and the situation afterwards than beforehand, it probably wasn't the optimum result. And I, and I love that. I think that there is um, a false sense of relationship with people who are of faith, that if they are of faith, that they are then obligated to be a doormat. Right, that if I'm a good Christian, using this analogy, then I'm supposed to be, you know, giving freely of self and serving the world without what you were talking about having healthy boundaries. Right, to be a good anything is to represent those healthy boundaries. And regardless of what your faith is, you must have a minimum standard to have access to you, or you're not honoring the self first. And so if you are a person of service and a person of faith, there is a lot of references that you are responsible for your wholeness so that you fill from an overflowing cup and you are disconnected from that. If you give from an empty cup, right? Cause then you're that what you're actually giving is, is not even a, it's sloppy. And so I think that that's part of this myth is that, well, if I'm a person of faith, then I just have to just serve everybody. And I think that that's a little bit of what I was hearing her say is, oh, but I'm a Christian. So then how do I not just say yes to everybody who's then asking? Yeah, I mean, I think that right on the head. I, I think that's absolutely right. That's why I think it's so important to make the unconscious conscious. Because Big if time. you, yeah. Yeah. I have and a quick I question. Happens, yes, please go right ahead. 
Hey, uh, thank you so much for this conversation. It's right down my lane. How do you know the difference between your, it's time to say it's no for right now or no, um, just like period, because I'm going through this with a orphanage. I love, you know, donate, um, donating time and resources with them, but I'm exhausted right now. And I don't know if it's just a no for right now, or is this a no forever? Well, I don't know if you have to necessarily know but it can be a no for right now but that doesn't mean that you have to that that has to be the final decision so i think it's 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 very productive it's very um appropriate to let the person let the people who you're working with know that how much you've enjoyed this and how you know wonderfully you feel to be aligned with them you know at this time i really feel as though i need to take a break i don't know what will happen in the future and uh, you know how long if when you know however you'll phrase it the way that you do so respectfully um but you're letting them know that at this time that that it's not something you're going to be continuing to you know to participate in you can always and, add if I, if I can just add one thing as well is that you know we've only we've all only got but so many yeses to give and the more yeses you give to things that don't really matter as much the more no's you have to give to the things that really do so taking care of yourself and taking care of number one making sure that you are practicing self-care so that you are available both mentally and emotionally and physically to, to continue to, to work on your passion projects and to help more people You've got to practice self-care because it's not selfish to practice self-care. It's actually selfish not to practice it because then a, a, a lesser than version in you shows up. So no is really important. And I think it's, you know, from a behavioral standpoint, when you get opportunities to say no, often the lesson is the evaluation of their response. How somebody responds when you give them something that they didn't intend or something that they didn't want is your opportunity to make the determination if you need to move closer to or farther away there you know when i when i try to teach people about behavior there's a couple of things that you actually look for when you talk about green and red flags the biggest green flag that you can have in your life is that when somebody does something for you that has no value to them when they give and it has absolutely no value to them other than the give, that's somebody you want to keep in your life. And when you speak up for your own needs to say, you know, at this time, I really need to take care of myself. And they come back with, who gives a shit about that? I actually want more anyway. It's telling you about them. The experience is there for you to tell about them that that is the red flag that you need to move away because they are sucking you dry. That is a, a vamp, an uh, energy vampire. Um, so that's my two cents of the behavior. Just kind of add on to that actual thought that sometimes national guide, and that's why it's happening. Um, I'm so excited about so many of these knowledge nuggets. I've taken a whole bunch of notes over here um, and I just can feel uh, growth happening within my soul on this side. I just, I'm, I'm just so excited. And I'm, Bob, I really can't even thank you enough for sharing, you know, your wisdom and your tools and your time and just your energy and just continuing to give such amazing work for others to help follow so we can become a better version of self. And I think that's what I love about the collective knowledge exchange is we all get better. Even though we have turned into pumpkins because it is 12 o'clock and that I has know. happened again. That happens. Bob, I, Bob, is it Bob Berg, Bob Berg. It's fun to say, but hard to say many times in a row. 
thegogivercommunity.com thegogivercommunity.com it's at the top of the room it is scrolling if you're watching us on an online feed do you have a preferred social media channel that you want us to, to point folks to to follow you bob uh, i'm pretty active on linkedin that seems to to be where i okay. am more than anything uh, anywhere else at this point Okay. That's well, I'm telling you, I have I have been Stranger Things for many hours at a time, and if I can, I, I believe in the Bob Berg binge. I, I'm 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 there for it. When we can have the Bob Berg binge happen, I too want to thank you so much. I'm I'm just so enthusiastic because you helped me so much, and and well, more than that, I know you help people in this room today, and we're absolutely. so grateful for you for that. So, Amelia, yeah, you want to say, turn it over to our social media friends? Well, yes. Well, I just want to say, I just want to say thank you to Bob as well for coming on and uh, and for agreeing to, to be here with us, and we'd love to have Ooh. you here again. And I'm going to put a bow on what Amelia said before giving it back to her: is that givers have to set limits because takers don't have any. So gotcha. make sure you're taking care of yourself. Back to you, Amelia. Thanks again, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I don't know who we're turning it over to for the social media show. I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to scroll. Eric, Eric, Eric Lattel. Oh, hello. How are you? Good morning, afternoon. Hello. I know. I keep saying good morning. Good afternoon. I am so excited. Thank you guys all for being here. And we want to absolutely, with all due respect and happy. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.